that a couple of weeks ago. And so when we look at verses 19 and following, we've got to understand this is all in that same conversation of a couple of weeks ago. And what follows this is after verse 18 of him questioning, of him challenging his readers, in what way do you love? Do you love in word or do you love in deed? Do you love in truth or do you love in a false way? After he says that in verse 18, he talks about our heart and whether our heart condemns us. Basically, what I believe he's saying in, this, in these verses here is... Even if you talk, if you love in word, right? If you love in word, you can love in word all of your life and sound exactly like you should. You can look exactly like you should look. You can fool everyone around you with this facade that you put across. But your heart condemns you. Because God is able to see your heart Verse 20, for if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. God knows when we aren't being real. God knows when we are being fake, when we are putting across an image that we want everyone to think this is how I am, everyone to see us in this great light. God knows and He is not mocked. Galatians 6, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. God is not fooled by our acting. When we talk a good talk and do not follow it up with a good walk, then God is not fooled. And so he says in verse 21, if our heart does not condemn us, we can have confidence. We can have confidence that we abide in God and God abides in us if we love in deed and in truth. But if we are found to love only in word, to love only in what makes us look good, then God is not going to be fooled by that. Our heart is going to condemn us. Conversely, if we love the correct way in a way that God approves of, then we can have all the confidence in the world that whatever we ask of Him we will receive, that we abide in Him and He abides in us because we love the way God loves. You see, God doesn't love in word and in falsity. God does not put across some fake uh, facade of what we all want to look at Him at. God is very real with us. He sets the expectations. He sets His standards. And if we meet those standards and those expectations, then we will be His children, right? Then, if He says it right here, if we, if we follow the commandments, then we abide in Him. The same way God does not put across a fake appearance. He wants His children not to do that. He wants His children to be real. He wants His children, He wants us to be the image of Him who deals only in the truth and only in the deeds which He has done for us. Uh, I think it is interesting 
a very interesting uh, part of the Bible because uh, there are probably there are many people who may uh, not who may not be so confident of his salvation, uh, thinking that if he is really saved, if he is really really uh, walking in the light. Actually, the you know book of First John is talking about that. You know, if we we all want to walk in the light and we all want to have fellowship with God, but sometimes, sometimes you know, honestly speaking, uh, we are not so sure if we are really having fellowship with God. And this verse, I mean, this section gives us the way for us to check if we are really, truly have fellowship with God and if we are really, truly uh, saved. And this you know, section tells us that if we love one another, as you know, Brother Ben says, you know, if we love one another as we ought to, as we are supposed to, then we, have, we can have the confidence we have the confidence we, because we are walking in the light and we are having the fellowship that we want to have. And I think uh, verse 14, chapter 3, verse 14 gives us that idea uh, more directly. Uh, it says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So if we love one another as we ought to, we can have, we have confidence that we have passed out of death into life and we are walking in life. So I think loving one another is not just a moral kind of commandment, but it is a matter of salvation and also it is a matter of hope and confidence in Christ, in God, that we can have confidence and we can uh, uh, you know, so much confidence that we will not condemn ourselves. We will not be condemned by some suspect, I mean, suspicion or doubt arising in our heart. Absolutely. I, I think you can kind of see both ways here in verse 19. 18, you, you let us not love with word or with tongue, but indeed in truth. Verse 19, we will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our hearts before him. So kind of like what Ben was saying, I agree with. I, I think we can, we obviously all understand this idea that our heart, the purpose behind our actions is always well known to God and we can be condemned. Even if we sound the part, even if we, we look the part, but if our heart's not into it or the reality of the things behind it, God, our heart can condemn us in that way. But also like Mingu, sometimes, like Mingu said, sometimes the way our heart condemns us is not having a corrupt motive or not having the right motive, but can also just be this overpowering doubt in ourselves. We, I think we all have known Christians who have walked away from the faith because they've messed up, because they've had sin in their life and then they recognize, well, how, could, how, could a God, how could God love me? How could, someone, how could someone like me with my past, with my failures, my imperfections, how could a God overcome them? How could he still love me and work on me and so our heart, our not, not the ability not to see over our doubts in our faith or our salvation, can condemn us in that way. 
and can hold us back and give doubts. And I think that's where Satan comes in and does most of his damage. That's why he gets the title of Revelation 12, verse 10, of the accuser. He loves to sneak in the, the 11th hour and say, you're right. You're not good enough for God's grace. You are a terrible person. You don't. Why, why give it your all when you're only going to mess up in the first place? Why show up on Sundays when you haven't missed in three weeks or you haven't been there in three weeks? Why engage in this when you, you yourself aren't perfect in this way? And so Satan likes to keep kind of pointing that finger and keep that pressure on, you, on us as the accuser, which then makes our heart our own heart condemn us at times and make us not assured in front of Him. And what's the best way to find that assurance, to find that confidence before God? Well, we keep ourselves busy in His commandments. We keep ourselves busy engaging, not just in word and in thought, but in deed and in truth. So a, a high call for us to really to answer this call. Any other thoughts from, from this passage, verses 19 through, through 24? Uh, you know, I, I, I think about this idea of having confidence I think that's what it's all about. And we're about to talk about, in chapter 4, what should give us all the confidence in the, wor- in, in the world, and that's love. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But if we have God abiding in us, what measure of confidence should we have? I mean, we should have all the confidence in the world, but the problem is, when we live this way, when we have this fakeness about us, or when we have this doubt in us, like you're talking about, we can't have that confidence. We've totally lost sight of the confidence that we should have in God, the confidence of the power that is behind that thought of how much we can depend on God. We don't have that confidence anymore because we have totally rejected God. We've totally rejected the power that we could have if we were to keep his commandments, if we were to love the way that he has taught us to love, if we do that, we have confidence. And if we don't, not only do we not have confidence, verse 24, we do not have him abiding in us, and we do not have his spirit abiding in us, but if we do, we have confidence, we have God abiding in us, we have his spirit abiding in us, and so it doesn't make sense when we doubt ourselves. It doesn't make sense when we don't put our confidence and realize the confidence we should have in God. And it can totally derail, like you said, Christians to just want to give up and leave the faith overall. Mm -hmm. So that's what John, I think, is talking about. Remember the purpose of this whole book. Chapter 5, verse 13. So that we might know that we have eternal life. That's the confidence, right? That's the confidence that John is trying to help uh, his readers understand. I think we can put that idea in uh, is some, you know, an expression about the Spirit. Uh, at the end of the verse of 24, it says, you know, uh, by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. But the Spirit, according to Jesus, John chapter 6, verse uh, 63, uh, the words that I, have, that I have spoken to you is life and spirit. So the spirit is life. And uh, Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says that if one doesn't have the Holy Spirit, he, is not, uh, he doesn't belong to Christ. So the spirit is life of a Christian. I mean, the spirit is the new life 
eternal life uh, of those who are saved through Jesus Christ. So the Spirit, if it dwells in us, if it is in us, you know, we know that the Spirit works and it is alive, it is, uh, you know, powerful and it bears fruit and the fruit of the Spirit is love. So love is the evidence that the Spirit is in us, the Spirit is working in us and living in us, and which means uh, we have the life, which is the Holy Spirit, the new life, eternal life, which will uh, give us the uh, you know, new spiritual body and the resurrection. So that gives us, again, the confidence as we love one another, as we see that we are loving one another, as, as we see we have the love that we received from God, we can have the confidence that we have the Spirit and we have the life and eternal life. Absolutely. We, we see from this passage it's important to know where we stand. It's important to, know, to be confident in what we're doing and what we're engaged in. And now in this next passage, verses chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, it, we're going to see the importance of knowing where someone else stands with God. Let's start in verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children. And have, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So we have this passage in verses 1 through 3 about testing the spirits. Let's tackle this first before we get into verses 4 through 6. You know, we, we've talked about it multiple times throughout our study of 1 John that John is dealing with the false teaching of Gnosticism. Mm -hmm. uh, he's dealing with these false teachers who do not believe Jesus was the Son of God, who do not believe that He came in the flesh. There's no way God could come in the flesh because the flesh is sinful the flesh is innately wrong so there's no way god could come in the flesh if this person came in the flesh there's no way he's the son of god that's the thought process behind gnosticism and so we we understand this to be him talking to the church about these people about these men about these false prophets who have gone out and are teaching that jesus was not the son of god but tonight you know in our day does this text not mean something to us the same way it did to them. No, we're not necessarily dealing with Gnostics, but we are dealing with false prophets all around us, right? We are dealing with people who contort and, and twist and, and mar the, the Word of God to their own pleasure, right? Each and every day we deal with this and we witness this in our life. And so in verse 1, don't believe every spirit. Don't trust every single person that's in front of you talking about the Bible. 
Don't trust, don't take their word for it. Search the scriptures yourself. Acts tells us that the Bereans searched the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. That's what John's asking them to do. Search it out for yourself. Test these things. Put it to the test of the things that you have heard, the things that you've been assured of, the apostles' doctrine. Put these things to the test, and if they don't measure up, then what are they from? Not from God. Right? Test these things. Don't just, you know, trust every single person who's in front of you. That's kind of what Paul would say in Ephesians 4 and verse 14, I believe. Being tossed to and fro like children by every wind of doctrine. Sometimes we can fall into that. Someone has a nice way of talking. Someone's very powerful in their approach. Someone has a very unique way to look at things sometimes. And so all, all of a sudden, this guy's new thought that no one's ever said in the world of all time, surely that's the thing, right? You know, if someone says something you never heard before, one, you either didn't know it, or you need to be careful about what they said, right? Because nothing's new under the sun. So when we realize that when we're studying God's Word, when we're dealing with the Word of God, we need to test these things. We need to put these things to the test. Search the Scriptures for ourselves. Uh, because as verse 6 says, we, I know we're not getting to it, there are those who carry about them the spirit of truth. And there are also those who carry about them the spirit of error. And so it's up to us, it's up to each of us as individuals to test these things as to whether they are from God or from Satan. Absolutely. I think another thing we can take away from this is not to get lulled into a false sense of security. You know, I think even within the Church of Christ, we have, this commandment is not for just other denominations. This commandment is not just when we hear people on YouTube, we see videos on YouTube. The, the, the Bereans in Acts 17, they were commended because they were fact-checking the apostles. I think we fall into a lull, and, and I myself fall into a lull of, when I hear a gospel preacher, I know that is a member of the church, and he's been preaching for a long time. Whatever he says, I just almost take his gold. I think we've joked before, and uh, if David Shannon ever preaches heresy, I'm going to be in trouble. Because <laughs> I'll probably just take it, you know, I'll, I'll probably just say, I'd be shaking my head. That, that's right, David, that's right. Because I have so much respect and love for him, and he's, he's such a good speaker. Yeah. And so I think it, it's important for we ourselves sitting in the pews tonight, sitting, up chair, sitting in these chairs right now, or watching from home, that we ourselves are searching the scriptures from the things that we're hearing and testing the message that we see before us. And then I think another thing we can take away from this in verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is some in the flesh, that has come in the flesh, is from God. You know, obviously like Ben was talking about, the, the, the audience that John is speaking to is having to fact check, whether it's Gnosticism, whether the reality of the body of Christ. But I think a way that we need to be fact checking ministers, and this is on me, on my, me myself, does this minister confess that Jesus Christ has come to the flesh is from God based on his actions? He might confess it from the pulpit, but is he confessing it with his actions, his mindset, his speech, his conduct? 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 12 is a set of standard that that's the standard we should be applying all of ourselves with speech, conduct, love, faith, purity, spirit. 
And so that's something I think that should go, go about as we fact-check, you know, confessing that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So kind of like you said, I have a few more comments from verse 4 through 6, but I'll, I'll hold off for that. Um, I think uh, there is another way that we can look at this uh, section. Uh, verse 2 says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. I mean, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. I think confessing Jesus, uh, I mean, confessing that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that point is very important. Uh, it, the text is not saying that uh, confessing Jesus as the Lord is important. But the text is saying that confessing that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is important. Uh, later, we will talk about, uh, you know, verse 10. In verse 10, we'll talk about the propitiation. The propitiation is the, is the symbol of love or the expression of love of God. I mean, God gave Jesus up to us, up for us, to be saved. So Jesus was the uh, Lamb of God, and he was the propitiation. And it was possible only when Jesus came into this world in the flesh. So confessing that Jesus came, I mean, Jesus Christ came in the flesh means that God gave his only begotten Son for us as a as the propitiation. So in other words, to confess that means understand, uh, understanding God's love, accepting God's love. And if we accept such love of God for us, then we ought to love one another. That's what I think First John, I mean John is uh, talking about here. So whoever confesses that Jesus was the propitiation for us to be saved, which was from the mercy of God, which was from the love of God, is from God. But whoever does not confess that, you know, the, the propitiation thing, he is an antichrist. In turn, a bit more practically speaking, there are many people, I mean, many false teachers who teach, who say a lot of things from the Bible, but don't practice the love of Christ. Don't practice the love God exhibited through Jesus Christ. So as uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses uh, 15 through 20, Jesus said, that you know you will know the false prophets because you know good tree bears good fruit but bad tree bears bad fruit so you will know them by their fruits so what is the fruit we we already said about, i mean talked about that the uh, the fruit of the holy spirit is love if we if one doesn't love if a if a person who is trying to teach or attempt to you know say some truth, but does not love, 
he doesn't bear. He is not bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So he is false prophet. So I think uh, what uh, I mean, uh, uh, the the the, the uh, another way that we can look at this uh, section, I mean, this scripture, is that if one loves as Jesus loved us, he is he is from God. I mean, he is not the uh, what force spirit or evil spirit, mm -hmm. but only if, only when the one really loves uh, as God loves us, as Jesus loves us, uh, he is the right spirit. You know, Mingu, that's a good point. That, that reminds me, I forget who kind of taught me this when I was younger, but something that changed, changed how I saw the word false teacher False teacher doesn't mean just someone preaching and, and, you know, something wrong from the pulpit. A false teacher can be sitting next to you at lunch. A false teacher can be sitting next to, you know, one of your, somebody that you works with that professes Christ on Sunday but does not live for Christ on Monday through Saturday. A false teacher can be anyone that's posting something on Facebook that goes against God's word that, or tries, tries to cheapen your genuine faith or tries to cheapen the call of Christ. So when we talk about do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits of whether they are from God. I think obviously that applies to our preaching. It obviously applies to the men or ladies that we're listening to in our latest class or whatever it may be, but it also applies to the mindsets that we see in other Christians or the lifestyles that, or the temptations that other Christians may um, share with us or whatever it might be. We need to test their, you know, them for being false spirits as well or false teachers as well when it comes to how they're living their life. Um, I'll never forget, when I was in high school, we had an intern. Um, our interns would never do this because they're great. They're awesome. <laughs> we had an intern when I was a high school student that at a guy's night tried to, he was teaching a lesson. He told the guys, and I told the youth group this. this is, I, I love this story because it's insane. Um, he told the youth group, listen, you don't want to go all in. You want to you you do a lot for God. You want to give your all for God, but you don't want don't to, give, don't give everything. You just need to have one foot in, one foot out, because if you give everything and you, and you just put all your chips in on, on this, on your faith, then you'll end up, have, you'll be burned out, and um, it's just not going to end that well. So you really need to kind of have a balance of, of Christian life and worldly life. And me and a few of the other guys were just like, it, we couldn't speak. We were so just, just awestruck, not awestruck, but dumbstruck or whatever, but just what was going on, we couldn't pick our jaws off the floor, but you could see some of the other students who were younger, or especially younger in the faith, they were just like, oh, that makes a lot of sense, you know. And so, not only was he false teaching when it comes to taking scripture out of context, but he was false teaching in the mindset he was putting across. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to be careful not only in the scripture that people use, but in the mindsets that they preach as well. And sometimes we can see that from verses 4 through 6. You're from God, little children, have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us, and he who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Very quickly, we, maybe we can make a few comments on this section. Um, how encouraging is verse 4? I mean, if you want a mantra, a verse to hold on to, a verse to, to quote in your mind as you go through whatever you... You're, you are going through in life, you're from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Quickly, my comment on verses 5 through 6, when it comes to, therefore they are from the world, therefore they speak as of the world, the world listens to them. 
I, if I blend in with the world, if what I'm speaking, the world is just eating up, then that should be a, a red flag for me. If I'm not sticking out like a sore thumb, if, my, if I can joke, if I can kick back and small talk with the best of them in the world, and then they're shocked to find out I'm a Christian, then, then I'm of the world just as much as they are. I may profess Christ on Sundays, but if I'm blending right in the rest of the days of the week, then I, I am of the world myself in that regard. Um, and then verse 6, we are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. I believe verses 7 through the rest of the chapter is going to be one of the ways people can discern and listen to us. So that's a quick comment on that. I have a very quick comment. When we, when we think about false teaching, uh, it is so shocking to hear. When you know the truth and you hear false teaching, it makes your ears burn, right? It just it fills you with indignation, righteous indignation, right? How dare they say this? And I think the temptation even for us as Christians is when we hear false teaching, when we realize all of the false teaching going on in the world, the temptation is for us to believe that that, tem- that false teaching, that teaching is just way too powerful for people to resist. As if the false teaching is more powerful than the true teaching. When we think about false teaching and false teachers... We see them in great positions of power. They have great followings. They have great uh, amount of financial support. They have more things than perhaps the Church of Christ has. They are able to do more things. And so we think that they're bigger than us. And I think the reminder here, John is saying, is no, they're not. False teaching, no matter how many people believe it, will always be false. Falsity will always be less than truth, regardless of how many people believe it. So when we think about false teaching, when we think about uh, the, the power that these false teachers might hold, we have to understand that the power God has is greater. God is greater than those who are in the world. Good point. You know, people didn't believe in germs until 200 years ago. It doesn't mean germs haven't been existing right. <laughs> for a couple thousand years. So it doesn't matter if the whole world doesn't believe in him. Doesn't mean doesn't matter, doesn't change the fact that he is still there and he still loves. Mingu, any thoughts before we go into verse seven? Okay. I mean, no. Okay. Let's read verses seven through fourteen. Beloved, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, then we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. He, we have seen and testified the spirit has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Um, I think it is interesting, I mean the language is interesting, 
between verse 6 and 7, you know, uh, verse 6, it says, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. I mean, listen to us. And then in verse 7, beloved, let us love one another. He is, so, uh, he is giving us, an, uh, 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 using the command word, I mean, imperative word. So let us love one another. So this is the commandment. And, uh, you know, the true whoever knows God listens to us. Listens to us uh, does not only mean just hearing, but it also means obeying. You know, aquo uh, has two meanings in Greek. Aquo has two meanings. Hearing with ears and also like listen to your mom, listen to your dad, like that, you know, obey your dad, obey your mom, things like that. So, uh, so, and then he gives the, you know, a command word, love one another, let's uh, love one another. So that is the key point. Um, I'd like to introduce you uh, uh, an episode that happened in the history. It is not in the Bible, but Chrysostom was an elder in the church of Ephesus in second century or third century. And he was a pupil of uh, Apostle John. And Apostle John was in the congregation uh, when, uh, you know, Chrysostom was a little boy. And he remembered and wrote that Apostle John preached every Sunday that love one another, love one another, love one another. And one day a person, a brother, asked Apostle John, Apostle John, why are you preaching the same thing always? Love one another, love one another. And Apostle John's answer was, that's enough. So this is the thing that we have to listen to, and this we have to obey, love one another. That's what also, I mean, Jesus also commanded us, love one another as I have loved you. When we think about love, and this is something that John writes about a lot in his gospel, it's well, something he's written about in this epistle already many times. This is kind of like the third uh, description of love he's gone through. He did it in chapter 2, did it in chapter 3, now again in chapter 4. We see him talking about love, and each time John talks about love, it's a special type of love. Is John talking about this emotional uh, infatuation type of love that we might think about in our lives? No, obviously not. John is talking about a love that is demonstrative, that is demonstrative, that has been manifested, he says in verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. It reminds me of what Paul would say in Romans uh, chapter 5 and verse 8, God demonstrated His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John is talking about a love that is able to be, like we talked about when it comes to doctrine, put to the test. This love is demonstrated between us. The same way God demonstrated, He manifested this love we also ought to be demonstrating and manifesting that love towards one another. 
And so the question tonight when we look at this text, this selection of passage is, is your love demonstrated to the people around you? Is, is, the way that you love others, is it quantifiable? Is it evident? Is it able to be witnessed and seen and, ex, and, and experienced? The same way John would start his epistle here by saying, that which we have heard, that which we have seen, that with which we have felt with our hands, is that what your love is able to be done to as well? That probably doesn't make sense, but go with me. Is your love able to be witnessed? Able to be seen? Or is it something that you maybe keep within yourself? You know, that's one thing. It's, it's great for us to love one another when it comes to what we feel about each other, what we think about each other, and we keep it up here and we keep it in here. But is that enough? What if God had only just kept it up here and kept it in here with His love? No, no, He demonstrated it. He, he manifested it through His Son. That's the same way we ought to manifest and demonstrate our love. Through our actions, not in word, not in thought, in deed, and in truth, right? Through what we do for one another, that's how we love. It's not enough to just love inside. We have to love so much that it comes out of us when it comes to one another. And you know what's hard about that? We're talking about human beings, right? Human beings that fail, human beings that hurt us, that, that break our trust, that are hard to love sometimes. But what does John say? Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. What John's saying is God loved us demonstratively. God loved us in a way that is manifested through His Son, through His deeds, through His actions, through His overpouring of love. He demonstrated that love toward us. And if He did that towards me, if He did that towards you, how can we not do it to the people who are around us? When we think about our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ, is it like that? Is it like the love that God demonstrates? You know, if we were to ask, raise your hand, I, I would hope very few of us would have the, the, the lack of understanding of how little our love is compared to God, right? I would ask, who loves like God does? I'm sure, I really hope no one raised your hand. I have to have a conversation after, right? But that's what we're aspiring towards. We are aspiring. We are, we are pursuing the love that God showed. The love that God manifested. We pursue that every single day. And the problem is, we don't pursue it like we should. We either keep it to ourselves, we either... Uh, don't love at all, or we struggle with this pursuit, right? But that's what John is talking about. If God loved us this way, if He so loved us, then we ought to also love one another. Because the same way God loved us that way, He loved the others 
that we struggle loving. Those are some thoughts. Those are some thoughts. <laughs> Sorry. I, I can keep going. We're running fast. What I think about from this passage is, if I gave you a gift, Ben, what would you, what would you feel obligated to do? Give a gift back. Give a gift straight back, right? In John chapter 13, Christ washes the disciples' feet. At the end of that passage, you, in my mind, he just washes the, the apostles' feet. And I would almost expect him, just as I have done to you, now you should do to me, right? John 13, verse 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. How we respond to the love that God has given us, how, that's a gift that we can't give back at the same level. At Christmas, you want to match the gift, right? Someone has given you something, you want to give something that's of the same value, the same importance. What God has given us, there's, no, there's nothing we can do to show that level of love back to Him. And so how we respond to this mind-shattering depth of love is we try to be abundantly loving to the people around us. Verse 11, if God loved it, if, if God so loved us, and we just love each other. That's the expected response to the love that we've been shown. It's not, it, he doesn't say, I have given you so much love, so I'm expecting a lot of love back. He says, if I have given you this much love, then love each other. And then verse 12, to me, it almost seems like, out of context, this first comment, no one has seen God at any time. You know, we're in the trenches of this huge conversation of God loving us, therefore we should love one another. And then all of a sudden John says, and no one has seen God at any time. And when we see how this fits into context, we see if we love one another, God abides in us. His love is perfected or made complete in us. No one has seen God at any time. I've never seen God. But I have seen the love of God because of the brothers and sisters in my life. And the best way I can show God to other people is through my love. I can't, I can't peel back the heavens and, and, and the Bible study say, see, there God exists. There he is. Do you want to be baptized now? But by actions, my patience, through study, through example, through everything I can, in every way possible through my love, that's how I can show the existence of God. I can show him by their power in scriptures, but by anything else, it's through love that we get to see a glimpse in the character of God. Because that's what he's known from. That's his, one, of, one of his defining traits, for God is love. And, and time eludes me. I think sometimes we also forget the Hebrews 12, 29 defining trait. He's also a consuming fire, right? He's, also, he's, our, he's my father, and I love that title, but he's also my judge. He is the God of love, but he's also the judge. Um, if we can, we've got a few more verses to finish in the last few minutes we have. Let's read. Or Mingu, did, okay. yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mingu. Oh, it's okay. Um, I'm a yeah, you said, I mean, Jay uh, said that, you know, our love is not, uh, it should not be mutual or reciprocal, but our love should be uh, sacrificial. But, but it is too classic, probably, uh, it may be too classic, but I would like to make the, make the point a little bit more. Uh, propitiation. Propitiation means the price or the ransom that somebody paid my debt instead of me to save me. So the, the propitiation means something that uh, the person who gives it for me 
gave it for free. In other words, it's sacrifice. It is sacrifice. He doesn't have to, you know. He didn't. He doesn't. The, the person who gives it doesn't owe anything to me, but he gives it for me, for free. So the propitiation is the the quality of the love that God has God has given us. So the love of God uh, that saved us is just sacrificial, sacrificial grace through grace, and the text says that we are to love like that. So. Our love should be sacrificial. Our love also should, you know, be sacrificial. Not expecting the reward from it, from, from people, only from God in heaven. So that is very, very um, important thing, you know. If anybody, if there is... If there are people who hurt me, I still have to love them because we hurt God. We, I mean, we, you know, uh, contempt God. We didn't believe God. We didn't respect God. But God loved us and saved us and gave us his only begotten son for us as a sacrifice. So we are to love like that. Even if somebody hurts me, we should not uh, pay it back, but we have to pay the person with love. That is what uh, the Bible is teaching us to do now. Absolutely. You know, that's, that's a really good point. We not only have received love from God, but we are taught love from God. We're not gonna, we're, we don't love each other like the world loves each other. We, we see the standard, I think about 1 John 3.16. We know love by this. Mm-hmm. We have been taught, instructed by God, this is how you love, which means exactly. sacrificial, not when it's easy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I think with that, we'll, we'll stop here tonight and we'll pick up next Sunday, verses 15 through 21, and continue our discussion on, on the study of 1 John, but also in this passage of what it means for God to be loved and what, are our, what our response to that has been. I hope tonight's been beneficial to you and I hope this study that you will go back and you will read some. You'll, you'll test the message that we've talked about and read back through it and, and come up with some of your own thoughts as well. Mingy, do you mind closing us out with prayer? Great. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love. You gave us your Son by whose blood Uh, we could be saved. Thank you for your love. We appreciate it, and we can't appreciate it properly because it is too much for us. But we, we are saved by that love, and we know that, and we appreciate that, and we worship you, and we love you, and we, you know, try to everything to please you, according to your will. Thank you, Father, for the salvation that you have given us and the grace by which you gave us the salvation. Please, please help us not to forget it, not to take 
for granted, uh, take it for granted. Please help us to spread it out into this community, into the world. Thank you for our brothers and sisters who are permanently practicing the love uh, to each other. And please help us to continue in that love. Thank you for Jesus, who is the symbol and the practicer of that love. We love him and we worship him. In his name we pray. Amen.